Mm-hmm. Ready or not, right? Okay. Um, today's message is going to be taken out of the Old Testament. And uh, we're kind of in transition right now. Uh, we just finished a series on the cross. It was a five-week study in which we learned a lot of things about the cross. And I hope that we carry those into our lives and it was significant in terms of our walk with the Lord. Uh, the title of the message today is Ecclesiastes and points to ponder that we're going to be looking at. So we will see various scriptures today. Um, I have a grandson. Uh, in fact, I have three grandsons. And one, you know, my daughter's son, is named Sam. And uh, when Kelly and Rob bring their children, Sam and Lucy, to our house, we always have such a great time. Uh, Sam is a thinker. He's one of those who likes to ponder things discuss things. In fact, he is wise and intellectually beyond his years. He's kind of an amazing kid. Now, behind our house was kind of a little hill. Some of you have been to our home before. And there's a big rock that's on top of this little hill up against the fence. And Sam likes to run around and play outside. You know, he's chasing squirrels around and throwing pine cones and different things. And he has found this rock. And it's pretty substantial. It's probably twice the size of this the pulpit, and it stands about this high. And I was in the backyard just doing what I do, and I saw Sam, and he's sitting on the rock. And I said, Sam, what are, you, what are you doing up there on the rock? And he says, well, Papa, I'm just, I'm just thinking. And I thought to myself, he has found some place to ponder, some place that he calls his own. And so he calls it the thinking rock, is what he calls it. And it's, I'm not sure it's a thinking rock, exactly thinking, or whether he's thinking while he's sitting on it. But you know, as we think about Ecclesiastes, the scripture has caused us to ponder some things that God has revealed to us. This book is very interesting. And there was some real timeliness in the presentation of this book in my life. Um, there are seasons when we're young that we reflect on things. Um, before I was a Christian, I had some questions about life. I wondered about some stuff. The, the, the type of questions that you wake up at night when it's all quiet, and you don't have the resources or the understanding, but you just kind of ask within yourself, well, who, who am I? And why, why am I here? And where, where am I going? And, and what's really important? And what is the meaning of all this? And who is God? And then ultimately, we start thinking about these times of our lives, and we ponder about, what, what is death? And why is life so temporary? Why? Why do we do? Why do we think? At this time of my life, my grandfather had just passed away. I was not a believer at the time. I was spiritually void. Um, at this time, I was going to church with Kim, and I was introduced to this book, Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament. And I started to read it, and it struck my heart. During this time, in the mid-70s, mid-70s or so, there was a popular song out by a group called Kansas. And the title of the song was Dust in the Wind. And it talked about the futility of life and what is our life all about and what is this experience all about because we're just here for a while and then we just go away. And that song just struck a note. And at this time in my life, again, Kim and I were starting to go to church and I was introduced to this book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon wrote this book. It's considered one of the wisdom books of the Bible, wisdom literature. 
as well as Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon. This book is particularly sometimes very dark and very pessimistic, very uh, looking towards the futility of life and, and some of the unanswered questions of life. But there's some really some wonderful grains of gold in the black sands of this particular book that we're going to be looking at today. There's a lot of questions that are raised. There's a lot of questions that are un, unanswered. If Solomon was just kind of trying to figure out what this life was all about and what was significant. Hey, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt this way? Yes. Have you ever felt like, what is this really all about? And where am I going? And what's important? And how come everything's changing? How come all these things are happening? But you know what's very interesting? Because God has determined not to tell us everything. Have you noticed that? He's determined not to tell us everything. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, the Bible says this. That the secret things belong to God. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, that the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. So we can see that the things that we don't understand, the things that we can't comprehend, the things that we can't plumb the depths of truth all about, God has kept to himself. So he's chosen not to show us all these things. So... When we're facing uncertainty, we can rely on God, His Word, to supply truth, comfort, direction, and hope. So there's four basic conclusions that we can gain from this book. And number one is this. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. In fact, Solomon goes into great detail about explaining his life and how he was on this huge quest to find the meaning of everything. He had all the wealth that was necessary. He had all the power, the prestige, the popularity, everything to make some things happen as he's looking for the meaning and purpose of life. And so he started experimenting. Remember, he was the wisest man, unless of Jesus Christ, and anybody who's ever lived, the Bible says. And so he said, now I'm going to test myself. I want to explore some things. In chapter 2, he, in verses 1 through 11, we're not going to read this, but let me just summarize this. He decided that he thought maybe the answer to life is pleasure. I'll just have a good time. I'll tell a joke. I'll listen to a joke. I will laugh. And he said he didn't accomplish anything. Then he went to substance abuse. I will explore with my mind the significance of alcohol. And he came back, came back with, that didn't lead anywhere either. And then he went to say, I'm going to enlarge my works. I'm going to make things happen. I'm going to make a name for myself, he said. I'm going to build houses and plant vineyards. That didn't make any difference. He says, I'll make gardens. I'll plant myself all kinds of trees. I will make ponds to water these gardens. They didn't find anything. He said that he bought male and female slaves. Maybe buying, purchasing, having things in our life, he said. Maybe that will be it. Then he collected silver and gold and treasure from all over the world, thinking that would bring satisfaction to his heart. But yet all he found, alas, was dissatisfaction. And then he went in the direction that so many cultures do. Maybe it's our sexuality is the answer. So we have all kinds of relationships with all kinds of women. But he comes back and says, it's fruitless. It's futile. It's like chasing after the wind. There's no point. He says, I will become great. I'll make myself a name. People will see me and they'll honor me. But he said that didn't bring any peace to his life at all. 
So we think of this person who lived way back in the Old Testament time, and we think, oh, that's a Bible guy. Okay, well, that's what it's supposed to say in the Scripture. Paint these spiritual pictures, paint these situations, paint these circumstances, and then bring some conclusions. Let me tell you about Bob. Bob was probably one of the wealthiest men I've ever met in my life. Bob was never lacking for anything. Bob had a private airplane. Bob had a business that kept money coming in year after year after year. With his airplane, by the way, he had his own pilot. He had real estate. He built homes. He went on cruises. He traveled the world anywhere from St. Petersburg, Russia, to Cairo, Egypt, to Jerusalem and Israel, to Germany, to Indonesia, to Melbourne, Australia. He's traveled everywhere. He has seen everything. He had all the hobbies. He loved to play pool. He loved to fish. He loved to hunt. There were times in which he developed opportunities with cars and possessions and, and collections that he had. To go to his home, it was full of stuff. It was phenomenal. He said, Craig, I've done everything. I've seen everything. But he says, I've never been so dissatisfied in my life. I've never been bored. I've never been so bored. He said, Craig, can you offer anything? Can, can you make any suggestions? And as a young pastor at that time, I, feel like, I thought I knew it all, but then when these kind of questions come, you kind of stand with your hands in your pockets. Nothing to say. What do you have to offer? Um, well, the scripture that we see this morning is taken out of Ecclesiastes, the first one, is that we're to enjoy our lives. So we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, we discover what this Bible says. This is what Solomon wrote. There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? So we're looking at the scripture this morning. I believe that we'll just cut to the chase. There was a philosopher years ago by the name of Ockham. And he said, well, let's just go, let's just take, it, take a razor to this. And I think maybe the answers that we find in life are probably the shortest ones that we can have. And so here it is, Solomon, with all the questions of life and all the feedingness experience that we all have in life, he says, let's just cut to the chase. What is purpose? What is significance? And so we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, there's nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and tell himself that his work is good. So what we see here is we are to enjoy the simplicity of the simple. We work in our life to have the necessities. And I want to remind everyone that our life is specific and that we have our own lot and it's given to us by God. So what he's saying here is that we're to eat and to drink and enjoy the labor because these are good things in life. We live in a society that just always goes to the extreme. Have you ever noticed? The ginormous sale, the big thing that you need to have, 
the huge opportunity that can be presented before you. But what I'm saying in the scripture that we see today is this. It's the little things are big in our lives. It's the coming down and enjoying the simple things that God has blessed us with. Think about Bob, who's done it all, who's seen it all, who's had it all. And he comes to talk to a young pastor and says, I don't know what my life is all about. Ecclesiastes tells us that we're to enjoy our life. And I think it's very interesting. It comes down to this. So, nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen. It is from the hand of God. Listen to what he also says in verse 25. Who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? See, the key is, it's not eating and drinking necessarily or enjoying our work. It's all about Him. So it would be a word picture for us as we sit around this table that God has given us labor to accomplish what we need, that we can enjoy a meal, a simple meal, the recognition of God, and to realize that our family is there, our heart's there, our expression of thanksgiving because of the simpleness of this. And guess who else is there? God. God. He is the key. He's the answer to all this. So we reflect. Enjoy the satisfaction of life. Oh yeah, Bob. The story's not over yet with Bob. Bob found his place of enjoyment. He found a sense of accomplishment and satisfaction. Bob found something simple to do. Now keep in mind, Bob made a lot of money, and he was always on his cell phone all the time. But I would see Bob several times a week, and you know what he was doing? You know where he found his peace? You know where he found his simplicity? Was doing light maintenance things around the church. It was common to see Bob walking around the church property with a cell phone in one hand and a rake in another. He's making multi-millions of dollars with the decisions that he was making. He was thinking about the things he's done, and he found the simplicity and the enjoyment of life of walking around with the rake, cleaning the flower beds, and picking up the litter along the highway. Multi-millionaire picking up beer cans. He found simplicity. He found fulfillment. Maybe he truly did see it something that we need to do. So we can see that for us to conclude this morning and to think about that we are to enjoy our lives. The second is that we are to stay busy. Look at chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. We see this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge under the sun that the race is not... I can't believe that from here for some reason. Went to the eye doctor on Tuesday he says, you need to have better glasses. And I tried to blame it on the mask, but he didn't believe that. <laughs> Let me read this. 9, 10 through 12. It says this. Whatever your hand finds to do verily, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the warrior. And neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning. 
for, for, nor favor to men of ability, for time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time, like fish caught in a treacherous net, and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. These seems like pretty dark words, don't they? But literally, literally, the message that we're trying to get from Solomon here is not only to enjoy your life, but just stay busy. Just stay busy. You know, my grandfather had a saying. He says, well, get while the getting's good. You see, we're presented with opportunities all around us. We're to take advantage of those opportunities. Our abilities, our resources, our times, our willingness, our relationships, and to do our best. Solomon says it wasn't money, it wasn't women, it wasn't wine, it wasn't pleasure, but yet we can find things in our lives that bring us satisfaction. Opportunities, they come and they, they go. It's kind of like this. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. Here it is. It's right here. It's right here. Oh, there it goes. It's going away. It's going away. It's going away. It's further. You know what that was? It was a moment. You'll never have that moment ever again. We are given opportunities in life to experience the fullness. Opportunities that we must grasp. Things like occupations and interests. Things like family. Life is unpredictable. The scripture says. He goes on to say, he says, I've seen it. The race is not always to the swiftest. The warriors and the war that takes place is not given necessarily to the warriors. And those who do not find favor, even if those who have ability, because time and chance. Life is so unpredictable. You know, the amazing thing to me is we look at this book of Ecclesiastes, we can see a study of the fact that the very things that we try to plan on we can't consider the outcome because we don't understand what's waiting on the other side. How desperately do we need God when we have no understanding of what's going to happen next? Our lives are so unpredictable. About the times we have it figured out, it goes someplace else. Listen. And then he goes on to say, we don't know when it comes to an end. We don't know. He goes on and gives two illustrations about a fish and a bird. But the idea is this, that our lives will come to a close. And we don't know when or how. We must take opportunities as they come. We can't rest. We can't sit back. We must enjoy. We must proceed on. We must make ourselves available for what God wants to do through us. That's why ministry is so important in our lives. Because the things that we do in the name of Christ go on forever and ever and ever. Consider this. Kim and I have had a lot in life. We've had quite the experiences. We've traveled. We've had. We've been blessed. Kim and I were talking with our pastor and his wife, Mervyn and Martha, one afternoon. And this was the high time in ministry. I was in my early 40s and the kids were doing good in school and the church was growing and we were seeing lots of blessings and joys and God gave us opportunities to do some traveling ourselves and I'll never forget something that Martha said, ever. 
Mervyn's wife. We were talking about how successful we were. And she looked at Kim and I and she said, um, Craig, Kim, enjoy it while it lasts. Take the opportunities. Enjoy the life that God has given to you. There's no one who has the opportunities, the resources, the relationships, and the giftedness that is so unique to you. No one can compare to you. And so we get some instruction from this scripture here is take advantage of the opportunities that God has given to you because there's going to come a time in which we can't have those any longer in this life. So stay busy. Stay busy. And so we need to see also that we need to keep our orientation. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So we're concluding this book of Ecclesiastes with this information that Solomon wants us to receive. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13. The conclusion of all that's been heard is fear God and keep His commandments because these this applies to every person. The conclusion is when all has been said and done there's a balance of life between earthly experience and, experience and spiritual implication. The Bible says to fear God. This is an interesting phrase, an interesting word. Keep in mind who he's talking to. To fear God. We're not to be like the lost. Because the lost fear God. They fear who he is. Those who have no relationship with God, there is this, this insurmountable dread that's in their lives. There's a void. There's a fear that's there. They tremble when they consider the fact that they will one day face Him. There's those who are lost that oftentimes are angry at a God that they do not know. So the concept of seeing or knowing or experiencing God is a dreadful thing. But we as Christians, we don't see this as the lost. In fact, Ecclesiastes tells us this, that we are to walk into a sense of worship with Him. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 tells us, as we look there this morning, Ecclesiastes 5. The writer says, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they were doing. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. What is Solomon telling us here? What is he telling us? That we are to fear God. We are to have a reverence about Him. When we go to God in prayer, when we go to God in worship, when we go to God and commune with Him, go with a sense of apprehension and concern. We don't come here. We don't go to Him with a flippant attitude and a flippant heart. Remember who He is. Remember how we relate to Him. Remember who we worship. The Bible says is to to fear Him. We are not to be careless. Verses 4 and 5. When you make a vow to God, do not be laid in pain. For He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you owe. It is better that you should not bow than you should bow and not pay. God takes seriously our communion with Him. He takes seriously our conversation with Him. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, be careful 
with your audience, with God Almighty. We see that we need to keep our orientation. We are to respect Him, not to take Him for granted. I was thinking about that. Where did that phrase come? Take for granted. You know what that means? <laughs> it gives us the idea, the failure to appreciate. We are not to fail to appreciate who God is and how blessed we are to know. We're here to reverence Him. We have a hymn that we sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. And we're to keep His commandments. This word keep is an interesting word. It means to be mindful, to guard, and to preserve the words of God in your life. Keep what He has said. It's our duty. It's our duty to know what He said. It's our duty to look to Him. It's our duty to understand His word. It's our duty to ourselves. It's a duty to others. To keep His commandments is a duty to God. To fear God and to keep His commandments. Lastly, there's a coming day. Look at verse 14. For God will bring every act to judgment and everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Judgment. In a general sense, we all know about judgment. The Bible speaks of the judgment of God dozens and dozens of times. But I believe that we are all wired in our own hearts to have an understanding that there is a God who's created us, who's given us the ability to work and to live and to have relationships. But there's also within us this innate understanding of our conscience that there is a time of reckoning, a time of recognition. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he sees this. Now. Do you ever have times in your life where things are just... There's times in life where you just you find yourself closer to God than in other times. You know, there's times that we just practice what we know, what we should. We, we have our quiet time and we thank the Lord for our meals and we're good about going to church. We, we say our prayers, you know. And, um, but then there's some times that it's like God shows up in a unique way. And so preparing this, this scripture, because Ecclesiastes seems so arbitrary, so random in his thoughts and his approach to things. So I read through the whole book again and again and again, and it came down to this. It comes down to what we're reading here in this last verse. The reality of all that we do, we do in life, whether we enjoy it or we find ourselves being busy, or if we have this concept that we keep our orientation, it all comes down to there'll be a sense and there'll be a reality of a final day in which it'll all it'll be over. It'll be conclusive. That we will not have this experience anymore. That we will see him. And in fact, Jesus is the judge. We will see him face to face. And for many of us, we see this with an attitude of dread. 
But I see this as an attitude and an opportunity to see us as how He sees us. You see, only Jesus can be a true judge of character and of motive. Why? Because He knows our heart feelings. He knows the circumstances and the events in our lives. He knows how we have come to conclusions. He knows our failures. He knows our successes. He knows our choices. He knows the results. He knows the consequences. He knows the fullness of everything about our lives, about our human existence, and yet He is the one who will determine how we will spend our destiny. There was a lawyer, a couple of lawyer friends of mine, we were all having lunch one day, and we were talking about the court systems that we have here in the United States. Though we wouldn't trade over the world, but I want, to keep it, I want us to keep in mind, please, that human judges are just that. They're human. And every attorney knows when they enter into a courtroom, they will not know and do not know what direction and determination a judge will make. But we know one thing, that when we stand before the great judge, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, we will know a couple of things. Number one, he has loved us from eternity. And number two, he will judge righteously. He's never wrong, and he's never shaded with opinions or ideas. He is truth, truth personified. He is the eternal judge. Yes, we'll be accountable. We'll be accountable for our salvation. Did we value it? Did we share it? Did we truly love one another? Did we truly live a life of sacrifice? Did we truly love? Did we truly expend? When it all comes down to it, God has eternity on His mind. What did we do with the people? Now, let's bring this a little closer to home. How would God, how would Christ see you and me? How we have this tribulation and challenge this season of our life. What would we said? What would have we done? How will Jesus look at us? Universally, He will judge. We can find great peace in knowing that he, loved, he knows us and loves us intimately, eternally, and totally. We know that He will look at everything that we have been invested with and determine our reward and blessing in eternity because of our faithfulness. But we can also rest in the fact of this. Universally, he will judge the entire, entire existence of humanity. And according to the authority of God's word, when he judges everything in all the context of all time and people and generations and governments and all the decisions, he will judge the injustice and the unfairness. He will judge the prejudice. He will judge the violence. And he will judge sin. 
And when it's all said and done, when his judgments are true and fulfilled, and we're finally at peace with him, that's given to us in the book of Revelations, chapter 21 and 22, when we're finally with him forever, it's all done. There'll be no more judgment. Because all that is over. So Ecclesiastes is an interesting book. Ups and downs, seems rather random, doesn't really give a whole lot of conclusions other than the fact is this. He comes down, fear God, keep His commandments, and know that He will judge. So what are some conclusions? Enjoy your life. It's the only one you got. You're not going to come around again. Don't wait for things to get better before you live. Because who knows, right? Stay busy. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it and do it your best. Because there's going to come a time in your life in which you can't do it anymore. Thirdly, keep your orientation. Recognize who God is. And keep your balance in how you walk with Him and blend His experiential in with the spiritual as we walk through this life together. And last of all, keep looking to the East. Because He's coming. Amen. And he's coming for you. What a book. You know, when a pastor gets done with the sermon, he always wants to preach it again. Okay, so let's start with Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I got 12 minutes. No, I don't. We have our lifetime. What a privilege it is to open this up and to drink this in. There's nothing compared, nothing can be compared to what has been given to us. The value, the eternity, the hope, glory. Oh, by the way, Bob, he went home last year. He's satisfied. He was satisfied in this life, and now he's satisfied in eternity. What's your story? Let's pray again.